there. Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. Happy uh, one day before Christmas Eve, two days before Christmas. I don't know what the official greeting is, but I greet you, and I'm so grateful uh, that you're with us. I want to also welcome those that are online with us today from around the world. We greet you in the name of Jesus and wish everybody a Merry Christmas. It's great uh, to be able to continue this series that we've been focusing on biblical characters in the Christmas story. We've heard from Pastor Ashwin as he unpacked Joseph's perspectives of Christmas. Last week, we heard Pastor Kent share from the perspective of Mary, and when asked to speak on a third character, I much sensed the Lord uh, speaking to my spirit about sharing on the life of Simeon. Now, we don't normally see Simeon in any of the Christian uh, Christmas productions or plays. I've never seen him wearing a bathrobe or managing animals or seeing a star or bringing gifts or anything else like that. However, his own special contribution, Simeon shows us an example of living in the light of the Messiah. The two previous messages were in the context of pre-Jesus' birth and then during Jesus' birth. The shepherds had just found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, join with me in turning to Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 35. I'll be reading from the NIV. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for your holy word. And Father, today as we examine the life that you have shared with us through the scriptures about Simeon, through the writing of Luke, I pray, Lord, today that we would find some fresh revelation of our own. And Lord, I thank you so much, God, for this, uh, this, this man. And Lord, I pray that we'll be able to kind of interact with his life today. Father, help me to stay out of the way of what the text says. And may, Father, you speak afresh and anew to all that are listening today. We thank you, God, for this part of the Christmas story and ask you now to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. For many people, a Christmas tradition is playing games. Now, people have many ways of doing it. As I kind of spoke to some people and reflected on my own, on our own Christmas, some people will go out every year and buy a new game. And part of the tradition is, is on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, they will open that and they will play and try that new game. 
In our family, it was more of a traditional to play Scrabble with my grandmother. We play Scrabble every year. And there's other families who go to a whole new level where they actually have a competitive tournament to, to crown the Christmas champion, which they get to hold that moniker for the next year until the family comes back and plays again. Now, as a kid, I loved to play games. Board games were good and I enjoyed them, but active games were far more my style. One such game that we played all year round, but in the mild winters of British Columbia, we could even play it on Christmas Day, was Follow the Leader. Now, children have played this game for many years, and it has some fundamental and profound truths that we as adults need to look at and apply in our lives. The object of the game is to follow the person that has been designated as the leader. You do what they do, you go where they go, you say what they say, you imitate them in every way. And as a child, this was very fun. I was telling my mom and dad who joined in online last night, I shared the story of how we'd climb off the roof and we'd jump off and we'd climb on the fences. And then my mom texts me last night and goes, what roof are you referring to? <laughs> Whoa, sorry mom. And dad says, I didn't know about that one. And I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> so, you know, and, that, and that, was, that was the whole game. Now today, we have the opportunity provided to us to imitate people in our own circle of influence and our relationships. They might be family members, coaches, mentors, pastors, teachers, and very good friends. But we can also follow the example of those that have gone before us in practical sides of life as well as in faith. And they will show us patterns or behaviors and imitatable examples that we actually can follow and apply in our own lives and not just blessing us, but blessing others in the process. This is how I felt when I started studying Simeon. I felt like this game Follow the Leader would be a great segue and illustration for us to challenge us in this, this unique biblical character to which previously I had not spent any time studying and digging into his life. So what can we take away from the text that we can follow, that we can follow and apply in our lives? When I read the text a few times, I found four characteristics that I think speak volumes about the person of Simeon's life. And they have enriched me personally already and has given me areas to reflect and seek the Lord on. So let's go verse by verse, starting in verse 25, and they will be on the screen behind me. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. The first characteristic, friends, when I read this and reread this, and I see in Simeon is that he is godly or his godliness. Different translations use the word just and devout, coupled always with the word righteous. Now as I looked up definitions, righteous is characterized by upright or moral acting. Devout is characterized by one, belief, by one being devoted to divine worship as evidenced by earnestness and sincerity. Now this indicates, these two descriptors indicate that Simeon steadily regulated all his conduct by the law of God. Some would even say that he had fully consecrated himself to God. Some research would also conclude that he was a, he was a man of good report. One that was well received among the people in matters of religion, faith, and life. There can be no doubt that there were many people, many persons in Jerusalem that went by the name of Simeon besides this man, but there was none of the name who merited the attention of God so much in this text. 
Again, when I looked at what the origin of Simeon's name means, it means hearing or one who obeys. So what else can we learn and know about this man, Simeon? Well, some suggest that he was between 80 and 113 years old. Some learned scholars have suggested that Simeon was part, uh, was the son of the famous rabbi Hillel and the father of Paul's tutor, Gamaliel. This, This Simeon, that they speak of, became the president of the Sanhedrin in A.D. 13. The Mishnah records, which is a historical Jewish book, and tells of the great rabbis and their achievements, ignores Simeon. Maybe it was because of his belief in the, up, in the, belief in the coming of the Messiah. John MacArthur says, Godly character is not the result of good intentions, wishful thinking, or some mystical zap. Or even, he goes on to say, sheer Bible knowledge. It's developed through self-disciplined application of God's word at a very basic level, enabled and empowered by God's spirit. Now, I read it once many years ago that one of the greatest compliments one person can give to another is that they describe them as godly. Now, this is not just an outward behavior based on identification or religious order. Rather, it's lived out through one's character. In essence, another, another author said that godliness is who you are, or character is who you are when no one's looking. So, friends, the first observation is, is that how would people describe you? When I reflected on this in my own life, unfortunately, the first word that came to me is a word that I've heard many times people interact with me. Pastor Wayne, I know you're so busy. I know you're doing things. I know there's, there's, you're this or you're that. And I thought, man, I want to be known as a man who's godly, that lives that upright morality, who is living out what he believes day to day. So friends, how would they describe you? Let's continue to read to the second characteristic we find in Simeon. And that is, is that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. What I saw, and I again jumped off the page to me, was this man's patience. The characteristic of patience. Every year I know children all over the world wait for Christmas to come. I was one of them. I drove my parents crazy. I was like hyper, first of all. Then I couldn't sleep. Then I was up. Then I was down. I was so excited about what's going on. You know, I eagerly waited as children do what gifts they might bring to them and dream of what they may fill out. And when I was younger, I loved the Sears catalog, right? Anybody? Sears catalog? Yeah, a bunch of us, eh? Stuff that I didn't know existed. I'm going, Mom and Dad, I need this. I want this. It was, it was a great tool of consumerism, I'm sure. For us, it conjured up what could we get. You, you're waiting to see on that list that you let your parents know what you wanted. Will you get that on that special day? In the same way, without the Sears catalog, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, the consolation of Israel, the Messiah. He was to be that consolation of Israel. He was to be the redemption. This to, the, to Israel was so universally expected that most Jews prayed and spoke of it, about it on a regular basis. The wording in one Bible translation that I appreciated was eagerly awaiting, like anticipating, eagerly awaiting the coming of the Messiah in human form. Simeon, was waiting for Jesus. He wasn't waiting just for what Jesus would bring to him and just to fulfill the promise, though part of it. He was waiting 
for what Jesus would bring to the whole world, the Messiah. Three times we read the Holy Spirit or the Spirit was upon him. He was a man divinely inspired, overshadowed, and protected by the power and influence of the Most High. And this would tie back into his godliness, his set-apartness for the things of God. Simeon was looking for something significant to happen during his lifetime. Every time the Jewish nation was under domination of a foreign power, the people looked and prayed for the Messiah to come. The Jewish people had been looking for their Messiah for centuries. And during Simeon's time, they were under Roman rule. The Jews looked for a bright, handsome, courageous, and godly man to lead them back to God and to God's favor. They were looking for someone who would make Israel into that godly powerhouse that it used to be when King David was in rule. And Simeon was looking for one who would rebuild and restore Israel to its rightful place among the nations. If Simeon had a bucket list, if that was language that he would have used, it would have been that he wanted to see that Messiah, and that's one of the reasons why God promised he would not die until he saw the Messiah. That patience. I found this illustration about patience. According to a traditional Hebrew story, Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw an old man weary from age and journey. Coming towards him, Abraham rushed out and greeted him. And when he invited him in, and then invited him into his tent, there he washed the old man's feet and gave him food and drink. The old man immediately began eating without saying any prayer or blessing. So Abraham asked him, don't you worship God? The old traveler replied, I worship fire only and reverence to no other God. When he heard this, Abraham became incensed, grabbed the old man by the shoulders, and threw him out of his tent into the cold night air. When the old man had departed, God called out to his friend Abraham and said, Abraham, where where is that stranger? Abraham replied, Lord, I, I forced him out because he didn't worship you. God answered, I have suffered with him these 80 years Although he dishonors me, could you not endure him for one night? Friends, let's be resolved to wait upon God to fulfill his promises to us. Let's not get weary thinking and decide to take this matter into our own hands and do it on our own strength. Because I will speak to you from experience that when I've run ahead and done things on my own, even to the point of manipulation, It never works out. It never works the way it was supposed to. See, friends, love is patient and long-suffering and kind. In fact, I talked to a friend of mine the other day in Psalm 27, 14, which was his favorite verse. It reminds us to wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Friends, are we patient people? Not just in our everyday life, in the lines up for getting groceries or gas, but are we, fa- are, we, are we patient upon waiting for God? Let's continue to read in verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he has seen the Lord's Messiah. Well, coupled with patience, I find the waiting Simeon full of faith or faithfulness. He's faithful. And even though he was an old man, I think he never lost hope. 
every moment of every day he was expecting the coming of the Lord to fulfill that promise that God said to him. I wondered if Simeon ever knew the writing in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 9 where it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. In fact, there are 42 other scriptures in the Old Testament that people are commanded to wait on the Lord. Simeon lived every day in faith of God, doing doing what he said he will. He clung to God's promise with hopeful and an expected attitude that God would use him to see and do great things and provide this promise. He was faithful. He kept doing what he needed to do. See, folks, people that, that live without hope are prone to discouragement and despair and go through so much heaviness in their lives. But friends, when we stay faithful to the word, we live with great anticipation of how God's promises say that he will use us People who have yielded their rights to God are those who have fully persuaded that what God has promised, he is able to perform. Now again, Abraham, who is referenced in Romans 4, 16 to 21, it says this, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. As I was preparing a preparation for this message, I, I interacted the great skills of Pastor Ashwin and ran some ideas by him, and he brought me this illustration. It really fits timely on the whole uh, faithfulness piece. And it's uh, an illustration I never heard of. It's called Hachi, a dog's tale. This delightful movie based on a real story from Japan when Parker Wilson, a college music professor, steps off a commuter train at the end of the day. He finds a stray Akita puppy. Wilson, played by Richard Gere, soon discovers the puppy escaped a damaged crate while being shipped to Japan from Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Parker takes the dog home determined to find the owner, and while waiting for responses to the posters he placed around town, the professor and the little dog became fast friends. In spite of his wife's initial resistance, she, argue, she agrees to let Parker keep the dog. A Japanese colleague at the university noticed that the collar tag on, on the Akita says Hachi, which is the Japanese word for the number eight. And that becomes the name by which Parker calls his new pet. One day, Hachi follows Parker several blocks to the train station as he leaves for work. The dog refuses to return home, and so his master has to walk him back to the house. At the end of the day, Hachi hears a train whistle and runs to the train platform where he curls up waiting for Parker to disembark. Parker is stunned by the demonstration of loyalty and faithfulness. The next day, the dog is there to greet him again. The pattern has been established. Hachi's uncanny devotion and faithfulness to his master is remarkable. One day, Parker suffers a fatal heart attack in the classroom. Unaware of what's happened, Hachi waits for hours at the station for his master to step off the train. For the next 10 years, a loyal dog waits at the train platform every evening. After the long wait, 
as Hashi drifts off to sleep one last time on earth. He sees his master welcoming him alive as the dog runs towards him. His faithful waiting has paid off. Friends, would we be described of people that are full of faith and that are living faithfully? For I think that is an indicator of discipleship to a world. Let's continue to read in verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. The word best described that came to me on Simeon's characteristic was this was simple. It's obedience. The Spirit prompts Simeon to go into the temple. And it was simple. He went into the temple courts. He was obedient. And when I read this, it really brought home to what Pastor Henry has been doing with us for years. That in his sermon conclusions, he will have us to stand, have our hands outstretched like this, and say, what is God saying to you? And what might he be asking you to do about it? That's pretty clear what Simeon sensed. Sense the Spirit of the Lord, prompting to go, he goes and he does what God asked him to do. He was obedient. Now Simeon is in good company in his waiting and being obedient with another couple older fellows from the Old Testament as well. Let's look at Abraham again. He's 75 years old and God says you're going to be a father. You're going to be the ancestor of a great nation, but it's not going to happen today. It's actually not going to happen tomorrow. In fact, you know how long it was before that promise came true? 24 years. Now, Think about being 75 years old and being told that you're about to become a parent. Wow, that's a lot to handle. But again, waiting obediently on God. God told the Israelites, his people, that they would be able to leave the slavery of Egypt and be independent. But they had to wait 400 years. And finally, God tells Moses that he would lead the people to the promised land but they'd have to go through the wilderness and wait in obedience for how long? 40 years. There's a theme here, friends. As a youth pastor for over 20 years, I used this illustration in numerous sermons and devotionals. There was a man named Jack, and Jack was walking along a steep cliff one day when he accidentally got too close to the edge and he slipped and fell over. On the way down, Jack was able to grab a branch, which temporarily stopped his fall. As he looked down, it was a thousand feet to the rocks below at the edge of the cliff. He couldn't hang on to the branch forever. There was no way for him to climb up that steep cliff that day. So Jack began yelling for help, hoping someone, someone passing by would hear him and lower a rope. And, and Jack said, help, help. Is anyone there? Help. And Jack yelled for hours. But no one heard him. He was about to give up when he heard a voice. Jack, Jack, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'm down here. Oh, I can see you, Jack. Oh, are you all right? Yes, but, but who are you and, and where are you? Well, I'm the Lord, Jack. I'm everywhere. The, the Lord? You mean God? Yep, that's me. Well, God, please help me. I promise if you'll get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll be a really good person. I'll go to Center Street Church and listen to Pastor Wayne's sermons. I'll be a missionary in Africa. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Whoa, easy on the promises, Jack. 
let's just get you down from there and then we can talk. Now, here's what I want you to do. Please listen carefully. I'll do anything, Lord. Just tell me what to do. Okay. Jack, let go of the branch. What? I said, let go of the branch, Jack. Just trust me. Let go. And there was a long silence. Finally, Jack yelled, help, help. Is there anyone else up there that can help me? I don't know about you friends, but have you ever felt like Jack? See, I believe another mark of true discipleship is being obedient. Being obedient to the Lord is a continual daily decision in saying, God, I will trust you and I will obey you even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way I want them to and they may never turn out the way I want them. I will be obedient and trust you. That's what the obedience that Simeon demonstrates and that we're called to. Are we the obedient people that God's calling us to be. And finally, we conclude the text. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised now, dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. We've walked through these four characteristics of Simeon's life, and we see them. He experiences now God's promise being fulfilled, which was first, prom- which was first recorded in Isaiah the prophet. His life now is complete. He has run the race. He's finished. He's awaiting the prize. God had delivered what he had promised And as I see it, Simeon, by these words in the script, was both waiting for the promised Messiah. In fact, he was promised he would see him. So he was waiting and he was promised. Second of all, he believed in his coming. And then finally, in physical form, he gets to meet the baby Jesus and holds Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah of the world, in his arms. So I was thinking. He now states that he can be dismissed that the Lord can now, you know, take him home. And so I was thinking about this. Depending on the timing of Simeon's death, that he could have been one of the earliest people to die in Christ. Because he saw the Messiah. He believed in the Messiah. And so in that, in that kind of vein, the, the really connection point of Simeon and the Messiah, the Christ child, being connected to eternity and forever, dying and being with Jesus is so symbolic for me. It's so great to think about that. John Piper comments that Luke is also uh, illustrating two pieces for us in this conclusion. First, he wants us to see that an era is drawing to a close. The era of the law and prophets. He shows this by depicting the best representatives of that era as aged and close to the point of death. They are passing away just like the era of the law and the prophets. The second thing that Luke wants to illustrate is there's no conflict between the law and the prophets and the new age of the Messiah. He shows this by depicting the most devout people under the old era as the most receptive to the new era. Now again, cross-reference this with the life of Zechariah, 
Elizabeth. And if you continue in the text of Luke 2, you come across the prophet Anna. These older people are not resentful or angry or pushing back at the, at the coming of the Messiah. In fact, they rejoice that the new has come, even to the point as they rejoice in the light for the revelation of the Gentiles. God has sent the redemption of the world through his son, and these folks are saying, the old is gone, the new has come, and I'm going to embrace this. What a great reminder for us that all things are new in Christ. I'll close with this. The widowed elder man looked on with satisfaction as Mark, his only child, became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused the father to beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors around the world. As winter approached, war engulfed their nation and Mark left to serve his country. Only after a few short weeks, his father received a telegram. His beloved son had died, saving the life of a fellow soldier. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season that he and his son always looked forward to, would no longer visit his house. On Christmas morning, a knock at the door awakened the old man, as he walked to the door, the masterpieces of art on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. At the door was a soldier with a large package. I was a friend of Mark, the soldier said. I was the one he rescued. If I may come in for a few moments, I have something for you. The two soon were deep in conversation, and from the soldier, the old man learned that Mark had rescued dozens of wounded soldiers before a bullet stilled his caring heart. The unfolding image of his son's gallantry awakened a fatherly pride that eased his grief. The soldier then recounted how often Mark had spoken of his father's love of, of art, of fine art. Placing the package on the old man's lap, the, told, the soldier told him, I'm an artist. I want you to have this. The old man unwrapped the package, pulling the paper away to reveal a portrait of his son. The canvas featured the young man's face in striking detail, though the world would never consider the painting a work of genius, overcome with emotion, the man thanked and blessed the soldier. Once the soldier had departed, the old man set about hanging the portrait above the fireplace, pushing aside paintings by masters that had cost thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Then seating himself in his chair, he spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. In the weeks that followed, the man grew peaceful, realizing that Mark lived on because of those he had touched. The soldier's gift soon became his most prized painting. It's worth to him far eclipsing the value of the pieces in his collection for which museums around the world clamored. He told his neighbors it was the greatest gift he ever received. The following spring, the old man came ill and passed away. The art world stirred in anticipation of the public auction of the old man's estate. He had stipulated that his collection be sold on Christmas Day, the day he received the greatest gift. And on the appointed day, art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on the spectacular paintings. Many coveted the reputation of owning one of the greatest art collections ever. They waited eagerly for the auctioneer to start the bidding. The auction began with a painting. Not many on not many must-have lists by the museums and the people represented there, the soldier's painting of the old man's son. 
May I have an opening bid? The auctioneer requested. The room was silent. Who will bid, open the bidding with $100? He prompted. Minutes passed. No bids. Who cares about that painting? Shouted a bidder from the back of the room. It's just a picture of his son, commented another. More, echo, more voices echoed agreement. Let's forget about it and let's go on to the good stuff. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer. Now, who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke. I'd like to have the painting. I knew the boy. Will you take $10 for it? That's all I have. I have $10, called the auctioneer. Will anyone go higher? More silence. Going once, the auctioneer said. Going twice, the auctioneer said, and the gavel fell. Sold for $10. Cheers filled the room. Now we can get on with bidding on the priceless treasures we came to, remarked the man from back of the room. And just then, over the microphone, the auctioneer said, thank you for coming, the auction is now over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. What do you mean it's over, that man from the back growled. We didn't come here for some picture of some old guy's son, said another. What about these other paintings? They're priceless works of art, shouted the irate bidder coming to his feet. There are millions of dollars of art here. I demand an explanation to know what's going on. It's very simple, replied the auctioneer. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. See, friends, Simeon got this. He waited on the promise from God for the Messiah. And when it came, he took the son and he got it all. God gave his son to us in the birth at Christmas time, which we celebrate, but he also gave his son for 2,000 years ago to die on a cruel cross for each one of us. This Christmas is still the voice of the father asking the son, the son who will accept the gift of my son. Whoever, take, whoever takes the son gets it all. And when you take Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get it all. You get now and forever. And I believe that be many people in this room and that are online and the other areas of central campus here that have accepted the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. For you, my challenge is this. Out of these characteristics that we've mentioned, right? Godliness, right? patience, obedience, faithfulness. Which one of these characteristics might God be speaking to you? That you and him are going to lean into that from the desire of your heart and the desire of the Father's heart for you to be more like him and his son? Perhaps some of you that are here or hearing this message have never accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me tell you, friends, there is no time like the present. Get it? Present. Because it's a gift. You can't earn it. You didn't do enough to it. It's not like Santa Claus that if you're not good all year, you're not going to get anything. This is a free gift that Jesus gives us, the gift of eternal life. You can't do anything to earn his love. If this is you, I want to encourage you to come and see one of the prayer partners after, you know, this message in my prayer of benediction, or myself or one of our pastors, and ask the, us what the greatest gift that we've ever received, and that's the gift of Jesus, because it's the will of the Father 
whoever gets the son takes it all. And Simeon knew that. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? As Pastor Henry has illustrated and imitated for us, let's put out our hands. I just want to give you a moment to ask those two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what are you asking me to do about it? God, our Heavenly Father, we, we stand in your presence, in your house, with hands open, to ask you what you're saying to us. And Father, I'm so grateful that you are a personal God, through your Son Jesus, a personal Savior that knows us intimately, knows every hair on our head. And so Father, speak to us on what you want us to walk away from Simeon's example in life today. And Father, those that are maybe wrestling going, I don't understand this free gift. I pray, God, that you would just penetrate their hearts and know that this free gift is for them too. Not just for here on earth, but forever. And so, Father, at this Christmas season, may we be reminded that whoever, whoever takes the Son gets it all. Because that's what you've asked and told us. So, Lord, for my friends here today and those that are online, I pray, Lord, your richest blessings to remind them of your love and the gift that you've given them. And Father, may you make your face to shine upon them, be gracious to them, lift up countenance and mercies and grace and blessing, Father, this season. And as they depart from this place, I pray, Lord, that the spirit that was on Simeon would be on them as well to guide and direct. For we pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas.